Blessed be God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and blessed be God's kingdom now and forever. Amen. Let's pray together. Almighty God, to you all hearts are open, all desires known, and from you no secrets are hid. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. The Lord be with you, and also with you. Let us pray. Almighty and everlasting God, you have given to us your servant's grace by the confession of a true faith to acknowledge the glory of the eternal trinity and in the power of your divine majesty to worship the unity. Keep us steadfast in this faith and worship and bring us at last to see you in your one and eternal glory, O Father, who with the Son and the Holy Spirit live and reign, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Today we pray with Episcopalians, with Anglicans throughout the world, at the invitation of our presiding Bishop Michael Curry, a prayer for the power of the Spirit among the people of God. God of all power and love, we give thanks for your unfailing presence and the hope you provide in times of uncertainty and loss. Send your Holy Spirit to enkindle in us your holy fire. Revive us to live as Christ's body in the world, a people who pray, worship, learn, break bread, share life, heal neighbors, bear good news, seek justice, rest and grow in the Spirit. Wherever and however we gather, unite us in common prayer and send us in common mission that we and the whole creation might be restored and renewed through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Reading from Genesis. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was a formless void and darkness covered the face of the deep while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. And God said, Let there be a dome in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. So God made the dome, and separated the waters that were under the dome, from the waters that were above the dome. And it was so. God called the dome sky. And there was evening, and there was morning, the second day. And God said, Let the waters under the sky be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the earth put forth vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees of every kind on earth that bear fruit with the seed in it. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed of every kind, and trees of every kind bearing fruit with the seed in it. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the third day. And God said, Let there be lights in the dome of the sky to separate the day from the night, and let them be signs and for seasons and for days and years, and let them be lights in the dome of the sky to give light upon the earth. And it was so. God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day 
and the lesser light to rule the night, and the stars. God set them in the dome of the sky to give light upon the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, Let the waters bring forth swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the dome of the sky. So God created the great sea monsters, and every living creature that moves of every kind, of which, with which the waters swarm, and every winged bird of every kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters in the seas, and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures of every kind, cattle and creeping things, and wild animals of the earth of every kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals of the earth of every kind, and the cattle of every kind, and everything that creeps upon the ground of every kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make humankind in our image, according to our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the wild animals of the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. God said, See, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw everything that he had made, and indeed, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all their multitude. And on the seventh day, God finished the work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all the work he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and hallowed it, because on it God rested from all the work that he had done in creation. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A reading first from Psalms. O Lord, our governor, how exalted is your name in all the world. Out of the mouths of infants and children, your majesty is praised above the heavens. You have set up a stronghold against your adversaries to quell the enemy and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars you have set in their courses, what is humankind that you should be mindful of them, the children of humankind that you should seek them out? You have made them but little lower than the angels. You adorn them with glory and honor. You give them mastery over the works of your hands. You put all things under their feet all sheep and oxen, even the wild beasts of the field, 
the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, and whatsoever walks in the paths of the sea. O Lord, our governor, how exalted is your name in all the world. Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Today is the one Sunday of the Christian year dedicated to um, celebrating the mystery of the Trinity. And mystery, I think, is the operative word. Uh, what I want to do is invite um, some consideration about the Trinity. Um, and I'm going to give you a uh, sort of a spoiler alert. Um, one of my favorite um, German intellectual romantic thinkers, uh, Friedrich Schlegel, said, because God is transcendent and language isn't, all theology is blasphemy because it puts words on God when God would be unbounded by words. And so you're probably about to hear some of that. But I hope that as you consider with me um, some ways we can stretch into a deeper understanding of what the Trinity might mean, frankly, for God, we might stretch into a deeper understanding of ways we can live more fully into both God's imagination for us and God's imagination for our community and frankly, live deeper into God. 
So, of course, the Trinity doctrine has been around for a long, long time. If you're interested to know, most theologians would tell you that it doesn't come directly from our scriptures. It came from the practice of people being baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Christians had been doing that for maybe a hundred years before there was any sort of even informal doctrine of the Trinity. This is something that had been handed down in practice. And so theologians inherited this very meaningful practice, and then they had to figure out what it meant and uh, what it meant for the community of faith. And ultimately, what happened at Nicaea was this um, affirmation, and, and this is, uh, these, these are words that come out of the council that is completely paradoxical and perplexing, that God is no more one than God is three. God is no more one then God is three. And of course, what we've stressed in Christianity is the essential unity of the Trinity. But if you're like me, um, it's very possible that you grew up where the Trinity is uh, these three sort of personalities of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but they are so similar, they may as well be one thing. I remember uh, one of my friends who uh, was a minister was explaining one day, I, I think it might have been in a children's chapel, but it just as well may have been in, a, in an adult series, that um, the Trinity was like ice cream. There was chocolate, strawberry, and vanilla. <laughs> and of course, if you grew up having the Neapolitan ice cream that I enjoyed in the early 80s, uh, they were different in color, but frankly, they all tasted the same. And that was how I interacted with the Trinity. Okay, there's different labels, but essentially, they're all the same. And a lot of times, we get this diagram first sort of picked up um, by St. Augustine, and usually we get it cut out so that there's just the triangle here, so that mostly what we see when we think about the Trinity theologically is Father, Son, and Spirit and look, there's their essential unity. But you know, it occurred to me that there's something really interesting about this diagram, which is there's a whole lot of the Father that is not being shared by the Son or the Spirit. And there's a whole lot of the Son that's not being shared by the Father or the Spirit. That if we took this diagram uh, I don't even want to say literally. If we took it seriously, the Trinity is about the similarity and the community, but it's also about essential differences. And so part of me wonders today if um, we haven't focused so much here on the middle that we've forgotten the middle is only mysterious and miraculous when we have these fringes. So I wonder... What if the different aspects of the Trinity, what if God the Father cannot stand the music that God the Son most enjoys? Like, what if God the Son, this is really a stretch, um, enjoys classical music, but God the Father is uh, a little more into gangster rap? And what if God the Holy Spirit um, appreciates things like ska or project music? If that were the case, then the fact that they're able to get together musically would be, well, wouldn't it mysterious and miraculous instead of naturally occurring? And I wonder if that sort of model wouldn't invite us 
into something called unity and mission instead of uniformity and identity. And I want to suggest to you that part of the reason we get to hear um, this really long reading from the book of Genesis, you really only hear it otherwise on the Easter Vigil, uh, it might be longer than the sermon today if you're lucky, uh, is because in the first chapter of Genesis when God goes about making stuff, the most operative verb in Hebrew is not that God makes, it's that God separates things. So God separates the sky from the water. God separates the land from the water. God separates light from darkness. Uh, The way I tell this story to children in chapel is to imagine that in the beginning, and the words are really clear, the earth is a formless void and it's covered with water. Water is that code speak word in the Bible for chaos, for disorder and disaster, for entropy. Imagine that you took every crayon in a package of Crayola, 128 crayons, and colored over the same piece of paper. It would be a disaster. And so what God starts to do is take that mess of undifferentiated matter. Certainly all the colors are shared, but none of them are allowed to have room to be themselves. God pulls out water from the mess. God pulls out sky from the mess. God pulls out land from the mess. In the end, God pulls out more than 128 colors and makes room for them to be themselves, knowing that there's something really important about being ourselves and being unified. At the risk of sounding a little uh, overindulgent here, one of the biggest mistakes I often make in my marriage is forgetting that my wife and I think differently. Even though we often have similar values and come to similar conclusions, we do it in a completely different way. And when I make the mistake of thinking, aha, we are one couple Therefore, we must be doing it the same way. When I make that mistake of codependency, I don't actually have unity. I have uniformity. And I lack essential appreciation for the difference of my partner that allows meaningful community to exist. And I hope I'm starting to touch on... um, on the theme that is most important for me as I think about what's happening in the world and the reading and frankly inside of God this week, which is that um, the mystery of the Trinity is not something that's just designed to enhance the way we think. What we've decided as Christian people doctrinally is that the Trinity exists not to help us understand God, but it, ex- it, it exists because that is who God is. And boiling that down, the Trinity is about community being not optional. Community is essential for who God is. As a child, I was told God made us because God was lonely. The doctrine of the Trinity says that's exactly wrong. God made us to be in community because that's according to the Trinity, who God already is. God is already in community. And I know that there are people who say, I can take community or leave it. It depends what it does to me. Theologically, that's not correct. Theologically, we as human beings, and all the research I've read uh, speaks to this as well, we as human beings need community. 
And I think what's in front of us now is this opportunity to say, what kind of community are we choosing to be parts of? Communities that resemble tribes in which all of us have the same flavor, or communities, frankly, that allow colors to exist in all of their beauty and wonder and be brought together to make a glorious picture. If we think the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are like Neapolitan ice cream or like different flavors of vanilla, like Tahitian vanilla or Madagascar vanilla or French vanilla ice cream, I want to suggest we're missing the opportunity to think about God as being radically different and in community. And I hope that just a little bit of that consideration might expand our hearts and our practice this week. There is a hard thing, which is, hey, what happens when people don't want to be in community? What happens when people say, I hate what you stand for? How do you treat them? (laughs) How do you survive that as a community? And I think, to be honest with you, we are all sort of scratching our heads about what do you practically do in those moments of division. Um, But I want to suggest to you that um, rather than saying, hey, if you don't want to be a part of us, we won't have you, it seems like what is happening in the Trinity, as I understand it, is that the only thing that gets excommunicated is excommunication. That is to say, the Trinity seems to offer this possibility in my imagination that um, any difference of opinion cannot just be tolerated but respected. The, The critical piece is whether or not you're cast out or whether or not you choose to not be a part of. Uh, This is really tough because, quite honestly, there are a lot of people that uh, would be a lot more convenient for me to cast down. So I want to tell you a story. Again, this is going to probably hinge on the most dangerous part of blasphemy that came um, from my seminary life. Uh, This actually was the moment in which um, my career trajectory changed. You may say when I'm done for the worst, I should have kept what I was doing. Um, But originally, I had planned to be a Hebrew Bible professor and I had taken essentially an entire course load in Hebrew and Hebrew exegetical methods. And then there was this professor who taught a class called Shame, Guilt, and the Rights of Reconciliation. He happened to be the director of the Anglican Studies program, which was unbeknownst to me at the time. I had uh, no call to the Episcopal Church that I knew of at the time. I took his class and... um, we talked about, if, you, if you've tuned in at all uh, over the past couple of weeks, um, some of the most instrumental things uh, in my own personal and spiritual development, which have been things like shame and guilt and how it is that we handle um, those initially those uncontrolled responses and then those emotions and then those habits that we live into. And um, I had originally decided to write a really bland research paper for this professor um, I think it was about something like how uh, in the history of Baptist life, baptism um, was a way of representing reconciliation. I wrote it. It was 25 pages. It had 124 citations. 
um, the bibliography was three pages long. I think it would have earned an A. <laughs> when I wrote the last paragraph, I looked at it and thought that I respected the teacher too much to turn it in because it wasn't about anything. And then there occurred this very wild idea to me. Remember, I'm telling you, this is probably blasphemy, but I hope you'll follow me down the rabbit hole. Um, Shame, according to the class, is a feeling of failure in the self. A feeling of failure in the self. Shame is when you don't do something wrong. It means when you are wrong. Guilt, on the other hand, is the feeling that I made a bad mistake, and it's often related to a fear of punishment. This is sort of what the class ended teaching out. And one of the most, um, one of the most visible affects that somebody is in shame is that they break eye contact. So if you've ever noticed this, um, small uh, children usually maintain eye contact and they're told not to, don't stare, don't look. And I know that there are moments in my life in which I could not make eye contact with people because frankly I didn't feel good enough about who I was in relationship to them. So I would pretend or I would look to the floor. I don't know if you've ever noticed those people that stare at your forehead instead of your eyes. Um, this, so the class was about being shame prone. Um, that was probably not great introduction but I ended up writing this paper with two days left before the deadline that said what happens if shame was operating within the Trinity. Like what happens if Jesus came to earth and became fully embodied and went around telling people, I represent God. And what happens, think just for a moment, if God didn't start to worry and sweat that out. You know, Jesus famously says on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I know New Testament scholars say that that is really about Um, Jesus quoting Psalm 22 and making an impassioned plea for the poor. If God is everywhere, of course, God cannot um, turn God's back on God's self. That that can't make sense. But um, taking this idea about shame and difference, what if God momentarily felt scandalized by Jesus and broke eye contact? Well, of course, what happened is Jesus died. And then there was a rupture in the community that was God. And so in some ways, a way to understand resurrection is God reconciling the community that was broken when God broke eye contact. Now, I don't know, friends, if this is exactly how it worked, but I do think there's something really compelling about that way of thinking for what's happening in our nation right now. I think many of us are trying to figure out how do we keep eye contact and what happens when community is broken. Part of our story that is so, I think, important, both uh, the Christian story and the mystery, is that it's not over. It might be harder. It might seem even impossible. But reconciliation, whether... Uh, racial or political or economic is possible with God. And what it takes, of course, is God the Father saying, I am not abandoning God the Son to the grave. I will go to hell myself and back to bring back this community that is part of who I am. 
And I wonder if that isn't part of our invitation right now, quite honestly, is to go to hell and back where people have been consigned because of powers that are bigger than ourselves to bring them back into the community that God intends. And I want to suggest to you that many of us are not knowing what to do in our anxiety and our doubt and our confusion. And so, of course, what we're doing is trying to think how we can dramatically be involved in some kind of racial justice or reconciliation. And I do think the dramatic vision, of course, is something to hope for, but I wonder if we aren't being called right now to do something that might seem a little less dramatic, like be faithful every single day in small, small ways. I don't know that I'm wise here, I don't know that I am. Um, But I know there are organizations that have been working for racial justice for a long, long time. This isn't a new need. And rather than being a flash in the pan to um, assuage our own anxiety by thinking up some cockamamie way to bring attention to something that's bothering us, I wonder if we don't have an opportunity to assist organizations like the NAACP and the United Negro College Fund to invest in tutoring students in our local community in making uh, diversity increase at St. Thomas the Apostle School. Uh, I don't want to say those are better. I just think those are opportunities we often leave off the table because what they take is not just a moment of boldness or adrenaline. They take years of commitment of being able to go to neighborhoods in which we don't even feel welcome so that we can say, in fact, we know we are part of your community and how can we belong and how can we function in your community as God intends. This essential unity and difference that I think is such a part of God, and again, I think is so important for us to imagine, uh, as the writer of The Shack did. I don't know if you've read that book. Jesus as a Middle Eastern Jew, the Holy Spirit as a female Asian, and uh, God the Father as uh, a Southern black woman. I don't know that that author is too far off in the need we have right now to put into human terms the most impossible people in your mind to get along with. And somehow, God, are those three impossibly ununified different people brought together in community. And I wonder if we could meditate on that image of Trinity and be transformed by it. Not because we have to be uniform, but because God is unified. And we're called to live into that unity, into that mystery. And when it requires us to literally go to hell and bring back those parts of the community that have been put in the place of torment and death and loss. Happy Trinity Sunday. And now let us renew and reconsider our faith with the words of the World Methodist Council Social Affirmation. We believe in God, creator of the world and of all people, and in Jesus Christ incarnate among us, who died and rose again, and in the Holy Spirit present with us to guide, strengthen, and comfort. We believe. God help our unbelief. We rejoice in every sign of God's kingdom, in the upholding of human dignity and community, 
in every expression of love, justice, and reconciliation, and each act of self-giving on behalf of others in the abundance of God's gifts entrusted to us that all may have enough in all responsible use of the earth's resources. Glory be to God on high and on earth peace. We confess our sin, individual and collective, by silence or action, through the violation of human dignity based on race, class, age, sex, nation, or faith, through the exploitation of people because of greed and indifference, through the misuse of power in personal, communal, national, and international life, through the search for security by those military and economic forces that threaten human existence, through the abuse of technology which endangers the earth and all life upon it. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. We commit ourselves individually and as a community to the way of Christ, to take up the cross, to seek abundant life for all humanity, to struggle for peace with justice and freedom, to risk ourselves in faith, hope, and love, praying that God's kingdom may come. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. This week, as we pray for the departed, I bid your prayers for Fletcher. Reading from Paul's second epistle to the Corinthians. Finally, brothers and sisters, farewell. Put things in order. Listen to my appeal. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with all of you. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Pray for the whole state of Christ Church in the world. Almighty and ever-living God, who in thy holy word has taught us to make prayers and supplications and to give thanks for all persons, receive these our prayers which we offer unto thy divine majesty, beseeching thee to inspire continually the universal church with the spirit of truth, unity, and concord, and grant that all who do confess thy holy name may agree in the truth of thy holy word and live in unity and godly love. Lord, have compassion. Give grace, O Heavenly Father, to the clergy and laity of our diocese and church, together with Andy, Hector, Jeff, and Kay, and the diocesan cycle of prayer, St. Michael's Lamarck, St. Thomas the Apostle, Nassau Bay, and Trinity Galveston. Andy, Hector, Jeff, and Kay are bishops, Justin, Archbishop of Canterbury, and Michael, our presiding bishop, that they may both by their life and doctrine set forth thy true and lively word and rightly and duly administer thy holy sacraments. Christ, have compassion. We pray for our vestry and our parish. Source of wisdom, guide us. Source of strength, support us. Source of love, unify us. We pray that our community may discern clearly and minister effectively. Spirit, have compassion. And to all thy people give thy heavenly grace, and especially to this congregation here present, that with meek heart and due reverence they may hear and receive thy holy word, truly serving thee in holiness and righteousness all the days of their life. Lord, have compassion. We pray for St. Thomas the Apostle School, that those who teach and those who learn may rejoice in the knowledge of your truth, that we may teach our children to love whatever is just and true and good, that we may be bearers of your grace to all who come through our doors. Christ, have compassion. 
We beseech thee also to rule the hearts of those who bear the authority of government in this and every land, especially Donald, our president, and Greg, our governor. We pray for the families of the nations, for all who struggle for peace and justice, that they may act with prudence and vision to plant the signs of thy dominion everywhere. Strengthen and comfort, we pray you, the members of the armed forces, so guide their leaders that they may be led to wise decisions and right actions for the welfare and peace of the world. Spirit, have compassion. Open, O Lord, the eyes of all people to behold thy gracious hand in all thy works, that rejoicing in thy whole creation, they may honor thee with their substance and be faithful stewards of thy bounty. Lord, have compassion. And we humbly beseech thee of thy goodness, O Lord, to comfort and succor all those who in this transitory life are in trouble, sorrow, need, sickness, or any other adversity, especially Chris, Rita, Jerry, Sean, Jerome, Susie, Ted, and Andrea. And the congregation is invited now to name their own prayers and celebrations silently or aloud. And we also bless thy holy name for all thy servants departed this life in thy faith and fear, beseeching thee to grant them continually growth in thy love and service, and to grant us grace so to follow the good examples of all thy servants, that with them we may be partakers of thy heavenly kingdom. Christ, have compassion. Grant these our prayers, O Father, for Jesus Christ's sake, our only mediator and advocate. Amen. Now the peace of the Lord be always with you, and also with you. And now as our Savior Christ has taught us, we are bold to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. May God, who by the Holy Spirit calls those of many languages to proclaim Jesus as Lord, strengthen your faith and send you out to bear witness to God in word and deed. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be upon you this day and remain with you forever. Amen. Alleluia, alleluia. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Thanks be to God. Alleluia, alleluia.